this. What a privilege it is to know that God has chosen our heart to be a sanctuary. That He can come and live and rule and reign in our lives. And I want to say it's good to be home. And you know, you hear some of the ministers say that when they go out on the road that people know who you are and where you are. And I left on a trip. I thought it was going to be 20 days and it wound up being 49 days. And God kept opening doors up. And I said, well, while I'm on the East Coast, I'll just stay here. And uh, met hundreds of people that I hadn't seen for years and spoke at uh, a lot of churches, big churches, little churches, people that I've never met before. But uh, they all send their love back here to Cloverdale. And I haven't had the opportunity to give you a little update from the Philippines and when I was there, I spoke at uh, some churches that way back when men of vision, when Brother Ed had that vision for helping the churches and some of those churches now that were little churches when they started, some of them are cathedrals now. And uh, the brothers have been so faithful. They're gifted with carpentry and plumbing and electrical. And uh, it's just amazing what started off as just little small works with Brother Danny Del Mundo's church, and Brother Vernon, and Brother Nestor, Brother June Escara, and uh, those those brothers, they are doing a work evangelizing their part of Asia. They're going into Vietnam and Cambodia and uh, Japan, Indonesia, and uh, all, all the countries in Asia where it's only a couple-hour flight from where the Philippines are, and they're taking the gospel and in Cambodia, uh, Brother Tim showed the pictures on Sunday night of the Bible Believers office there. Brother Vernon, he came to Bible Believers and he has gone over there and he has duplicated what we had in the Philippines. And he's gone there and uh, Brother Paul, who you heard Brother Tim speak about, the young man came to the Philippines. He's 24 years old. He's already translated 225 messages into the Cambodian language. And I spoke with him the other night and he gave me some additional information. He said where he was born, he was born in the triangle where Laos, Cambodia and Thailand all come together. He speaks all three of those languages fluently and English and two dialects also. And uh, he's one of the finest specimens of a young man that I've ever met anywhere in the world. And I think Brother Tim would would uh, say amen to that. And he's got such a burden for his people. And they're having a convention in November. And uh, by God's grace, I would like to, to go there and be a part of that and to see what God is doing. It's, it's exciting to, for the thought of being somewhere where the, the message is just... It's kind of beginning to percolate. And uh, so if you don't mind tonight, I would like to speak a little bit fast. And uh, I used to speak real fast when I was born up in Rhode Island, but I slowed down when I went down south and out west here. But uh, when I met Brother Roy, I spoke real fast when I first met Brother Roy many years ago when he was working with the uh, with the vacuum cleaner company up in in Ottawa. So I would like to have that privilege of speaking fast tonight. And so we don't stay here for a long time. But at the same time, trust you'll get a seven course meal. So uh, if we can stand and and I'd like to invite you to look at the book of second Peter in chapter one in verse one. And before we read, let's Let's speak to the Lord. Father, we thank you for this privilege that you have given to us at this late hour, a time when the message is more mature than it has ever been in the history of man. Lord, it's rich, it's sweet, it's powerful. Lord, I pray tonight that that you would give us a portion of the supernatural. Make us keenly aware that in this building there are supernatural beings all around us. We can't see them with our natural eyes, but by the realm of faith we know that they are here, here to help out in the meetings. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would take both speaker and hearer, anoint them, Father, and when the, the service is over, let the people say it was good to have been in the house of God. We ask these blessings in your precious and holy and wonderful and awesome name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, Peter speaking, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertaineth unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins." Wherefore, the brethren, rather brethren, make, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Amen. God bless you. You can have your seats. Brother Branham said, uh, I don't say this to push you about. It won't mock you. It won't get on you. It won't do this. But many of the afflictions of the righteous, many times will the ark be tossed this way and that way. But the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Many bounces had the old ark. Many ups and downs and many gales did she ride. But she landed on Mount Aratat just the same. Many alligators, I said, crossed the little ark. Many gales had rode through the night. Many dark storms she rode through but landed safely in the bulrushes where the intents could be taken to the throne of the nation from the lowest to the highest. We miserable, wretched, from the lowest of all insects, lowest of all creatures, morally polluted, spiritually dead, can be lifted from that place by the ark of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to be sons and daughters and kings and priests unto God. What a picture. What do we have under consideration? How can man turn from such a proposition that God hath made Unto man. You know, in the parable that Jesus spoke about the rich young ruler, and uh, that was quite a, a pedigree that man had to start with. He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. But the greatest thing that he had was the opportunity to come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he did, he had the right answer, the right question to ask, and that was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is the most important question any man or any woman could ever have. And he asked the only person that could give him the exact right answer. And when he got the right answer, the Lord said, he said, uh, because he discerned his life and saw that money was going to become the God of the rich young ruler. He said, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come and follow me. Now, we have found the preaching of the gospel. It has one of three effects upon a person. It either makes them mad or glad or sad. And for the rich young ruler, it made him very sad and he turned away. But that was not the end of the rich young ruler because through the eye of a prophet, we see that later on his dreams, his hopes were fulfilled. He called out, I am rich, I am increased with goods, I have need of nothing. But the voice said, thou fool. This day your soul is required of thee. But that was not the end of the rich young ruler because later we see him in torment. But God allowed him to look and to see Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And he cried out for a drop, just a couple of drops of water that Lazarus could bring and put it on his tongue. But Abraham said, no, there is a great gulf fixed. He can't come there. You can't come here. 
He said, he had nothing in life. You had everything. Now he has everything and you have nothing. But that was not the end of his life because later on he cried out, well, let Lazarus go and let him go to my family and warn them that they don't come to this wicked place. He said, no, they have Moses. They have the law. They have the prophets. But if one rose from the dead, still they would not believe. Now, tonight we have that opportunity ministered to us supernaturally a more advanced privilege of coming face to face with the revealed word. And now the choice is in our hands by free moral agency. We decide whether we're going to accept that invitation and not saying that everybody he's telling to go and sell everything they have. But that man we knew that that money was going to become his downfall. And so a lot of people have different downfalls in their life. You know, back in 1994, uh, I, I, I was able to write a book. And the name of the book was called In Search of a Perfect Attitude. And it was inspired from the message because Brother Branham loved the word perfect. Perfect love and perfect faith and perfect strength by perfect weakness. And many other terms that he used for perfect. And uh, I, I love one time he was saying, he, he was speaking about the atmosphere. And he says, oh my, he said, it's, it's just perfect. Then he said, no, it's beyond perfect. It's sublime. And I had to go to the dictionary because I had never heard the word sublime before. And uh, so so the word of God is so rich and so perfect. And so I, I began to study that. And uh, based on the years that I had traveled in, in business and ministry, I had come to the conclusion that the most common form of addictive behavior in all of human nature was a negative attitude. And so I looked in the, in the word and I looked in the, in the message and, and it just seemed to gel. The Bible said a righteous man is like a tree planted by the rivers of water and everything that man doeth shall prosper. I said, well, what about the opposite? What about an unrighteous man or a woman? They're like a tree planted by a sewer or a septic tank or a cesspool and everything they do will be rotten and perverted and polluted. And so I, I took that and I had a brother here, brother Troy. He was a great artist and he drew a tree for me with a great big bark and and roots going down into the ground and branches that had some fruits and so I started thinking where does this negative attitude come from that is I want to repeat that the most common form of addictive behavior in all of human nature is a negative attitude Negativity is public enemy number one. Brother Branham said, don't ever let a negative thought get into your mind. A Christian is always positive, never negative. I tell you, when I first came to the message, a lot of people were saying, oh, that brother, he's just one of those, you know, Norman Vincent Peale kind of guy. He just positive, positive, positive. Then the message came out. On the computer, and I was able to show them what Brother Branham had to say about positive, positive, positive. And they said, oh, brother, that's nice. Yeah, brother, that's good. Well, again, so where does this negativity come from? And I started thinking about the root system that that starts to build this negativity. And the first root that goes into the life of a negative person is the root of criticism. And criticism, many people, they go around looking for fault as if there was a reward for it. And I have never seen a monument or a statue erected to a critic. But those people who have been criticized, a lot of monuments have been erected. So criticism, you know, people, they love to go and find fault. And Brother Branham said, if you come to a service looking for fault, don't worry. The devil will show you some fault. So if you've got some fault tonight about me or the church or some, then God didn't put that in your mind. And and so uh, I, I pray tonight that we can understand that that criticism, it's a spirit that, that will grab a hold of a person. And then the next root, after criticism, the next root is, is okay if I speak this fast? Okay, next root is pessimism. And pessimism is the dark room where negativity is developed. Now, a lot of you young people, you don't realize what a dark room is, but we used to have to buy film and take it to the drugstore or the, or the store, and they would put it into a dark room. You had to buy the film, take it, have it developed, and then out would come the picture. And so 
Pessimism is the dark room where negativity is developed. And negativity is a cancer that, that wants to violate and permeate their thought process. It is a poison. And so now negativity, it comes. Criticism, pessimism. The next root that goes in is the root of cynicism. And people become cynical. I have met hundreds of people who are cynical about this message, about the greatest treasure that God has ever put into the hands of men, and they are cynical about it. Oh, I don't believe that. Oh, where do you get that from? I never heard that. Uh, my, my denomination doesn't teach that, and, and so they're cynical. The next route down is skepticism. So now they become skeptical. You try to talk with them about one God and the baptism in Jesus' name right away. You say, you mean you don't believe in the Holy Trinity? Nothing holy about a trinity, friends. It's the highest form of idolatry there is to take the one God and divide him into three parts. And so, so, so now after that, the last root is the root of sarcasm. And some people wake up in the morning and they've got an industrial sized pencil sharpener and they take their tongue and they sharpen their tongue and they walk outside and look for somebody that they can tear into the root system. Now, criticism. Pessimism, cynicism, skepticism, sarcasm. Now that's going to produce fruits. Now we already talked about the fruits of the perfect, the statue of a perfect man. Faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. But now we've got the root system of the negative person. And we know the fruits of the Spirit are love and joy and peace and patience and all these wonderful fruits of the righteous man, of a positive man, of a spiritual man. But now the fruits of a negative attitude. The first one is the fruit of fear. F-E-A-R. False evidence appearing real. False education appearing real. Or what most people do, forget everything and run. But the bride faces everything and rises. And so fear. The Bible said, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And Brother Branham said, the message came to take the fear off of the people. So we have no fear. The bride is fearless in the face of the adversity. And we have, we have, Brother Branham said, he's a good adversary, but he's a defeated adversary. Because the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, praise, righteousness, and prayer, it binds him. First thing in the morning, you should have two deaths in your life. You got to die and the devil should die. First thing in the morning, bind the yapping dog right away. Let him know he has no part in your day. First thing in the morning and remind him all day long. The Bible said, resist the devil and he will flee like a scalded dog who somebody dumps boiling hot water on. No fear. The next fruit of a negative attitude is the fruit of anger. We are living in a day of rage now like never before in the history of man. Everybody is angry. Everybody is outraged. How outraged? Political outrage. Educational outrage. Business outrage. Sports outrage. Entertainment outrage. Music out. Everybody's outraged. Well, I'm outraged. At the people who are outraged that I am not outraged. I have perfect peace, perfect, perfect rest, perfect joy, perfect love. All the perfects that God has delivered to us in the word. We are the mystical body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That word mystic, a mystic is one who seeks after and attains direct intercourse with God. The mystical body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So anger. I remember 1983. I was living in San Diego and the headlines came in the newspaper. It was a story of a man that was riding down Interstate 5 all the way down almost to Mexico. And a man was on the freeway and somebody came and cut him off real sharp.
And the guy in back, he was so angry and he chased the guy and the guy got off the exit and he chased him down the exit. And when he came to the stop sign, he jumped out and he got his tire on and he was ready to smash his window. But he didn't know the guy had a carry permit and he shot him in the leg. You know what the headline was? Road rage. Road rage. We didn't know about going viral in that day, but it did. That word road rage, it went everywhere. That story went everywhere. So now we still have lots of road rage. We got air rage. Boat rage. Did you hear about the woman that they allowed to have a small horse get on the plane with her? That's her service animal. You go to the airports nowadays, and everywhere you look, people got little dogs, little animals. This woman brought a horse, a miniature horse, on the plane. And she got away with it. Just a little, just a small little miniature horse. There was a guy a while ago, he tried to get on the plane with a parrot. But they didn't let that guy on the plane because they were afraid the parrot would make too much noise. And these people, they, they've got to have these animals because, you know, they're, they're nervous. It's a neurotic age. Brother Branson, way back in the 50s and 60s, this is a neurotic age. How much more would that be magnified and multiplied in this day? And so people are angry in every walk of life life angry if they're not angry something's wrong with them and anger that's the second fruit of a negative attitude and anger is one letter short of danger you put the d in front of anger you have danger and the d is the devil so if you see somebody who's angry, then a spirit has got a hold of him and they're out there and they're just you know out of control anger been there, done that. Glad it's behind me. The next fruit is one we all battle with. It's the fruit of procrastination. Procrastination is the assassination of motivation. And there was a town a while ago, and this town had so many procrastinators in it, they decided they were going to start a procrastinators club. But then they decided to wait. (laughs) So what do we do? We put things off, put things off, put things off. We want to do it now. Get it done. Put it behind us. So we, we have to overcome procrastination. And then the next fruit is anxiety. People get anxious. Then the last fruit is the fruit of depression. And you find oftentimes people, when that spirit of depression gets a hold of him, they wind up in a deep, dark dungeon of desperation and depression and despondency and despair and disillusionment and doubt. And they wind up on a slow, silent, screaming slide into the bowels of ultimate despair. And only God can rescue a person from there. They can try all the medicine. They can temporarily get them stabilized, but only God can deliver. Deliver a person from that. So now you've got all of those roots going down. Criticism, pessimism, cynicism, skepticism, sarcasm, then the fruits, fear, anger, procrastination, anxiety, and depression. Now, Brother Branham said that we live in a three-room house, kind of like an egg. You have the egg, the outside shell, and by knowledge we know there is an egg white and there is an egg yolk. Now, on the outside of this, this physical realm that we live in, the five senses we have that Brother Branham says that God gives us to contact the outside world around us. Your eyes are a gift. Many don't have eyes. Your ears are a gift. Many don't have the gift of hearing. But we have got to take these treasures of our hearing and our vision. And we've got to watch what we allow by free will. And God's put us here with a choice. We must be careful what we allow to go into the eyes and the ears. This is a visual age. A hearing age. And so once you allow something to go into your eyes or ears, you don't have to work any further because it makes an instantaneous journey to your mind. 
And in your mind is produced a thought. Thoughts become words. Words produce actions. Actions form habits. Habits produces character. And character determines our destiny. Brother Ram said, pack up all the character you can get because it's the only thing that we're taking with us. And our character is our testimony. It's the life that we live. So eyes and ears, you know, television, movies, and and and, and the, the the rock and roll and the sports and all those things. People, it's before them all the time, and and you've got to put a shield around your eyes and a shield around your ears. The telephone that we have got, that's in our hands, that is the internet. The internet is the modern tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in Satan's Eden, he has put it right in your hands. Right to look at that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan's Eden. The God of this evil age, Jezebel religion, the anointed ones at the end times. And God has trusted us to live in this, the most wicked and the most perverted, the most deceptive age that man has ever lived in. And God has trusted us that we could live in this age and by his spirit and by his word, we could overcome Satan in this age. And so now the next one down after your eyes and your ears is the taste and the smell. And uh, I'm not going to go there because that's a real sensitive area for a lot of people. But I'm just going to say, you know, we, we need to watch what goes into our and, and today. Everything we can do simultaneously. The last the last uh, area in our physical realm is the area of touch. And in this day, we can see and hear and smell and taste and touch all at the same time. And we've been doing it all of our life simultaneously. And it's natural. And we don't think that each one of those realms is a separate. It's like a separate department in our life. So if things look good, people want to look at them, taste good, smell good, feel good. And so that's the the, the danger area. This, this realm of feely, touchy. I remember when I was 12 years old, my whole life was baseball, football, and basketball. And we did not want any girls around. If the girls came around, we would say, get those girls out of here. What are those girls doing around? Get them out of here. The next year, I slicking back my hair, you know, and, and they thought, they think skinny jeans is a new thing. I had tight white dungarees with a razor sharp point on those things. Like I had to fight myself to get into those things. 1963, friends, long time ago. Dancing to the beat of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the Beach Boys and Elvis Presley. I mean, that's, that's dating myself, but that's, that's the era that I grew up in. And Brother Branham said Elvis Presley, he had to have four or five psychiatrists carry with him to keep him on stage. So think of how many demons were living in his mind. And so, so this physical realm, it is a realm that people, they live in that realm. It, it, it's where they feast at. But inside, we have five departments in our spiritual or emotional realm. And each one is as separate and as individual as our eyes is from our ears. First one is conscience. Now, Satan, he wants to rule and is ruling in the majority of people on the face of this earth. Almost eight billion of them. And Satan is ruling in that realm of their conscience with guilt, shame, condemnation, and regret. But God... God, on the other hand, God allows us a revelation of justification. And if you can believe it, and believe me, that is a great, big, gigantic, supernatural revelation. That you can understand that in God's eyes, all your sins of the past is just as if you never did it in the first place. So your choice, either guilt, shame, condemnation, or freedom. Next one, realm of your memory. 
Again, a very, very powerful realm where Satan wants to use and bring up all your errors, your mistakes. And he comes and he anoints that memory. I remember Brother Bisco many years ago. He, he, he gave the illustration. Satan, he wants to take like a dredge and he'll go to a harbor and, and take that dredge and go down maybe 30 or 40 feet and bring up muck that hasn't seen the light of day for decades. Maybe a century. And that's how Satan wants to rule in your memory. But by choice, you can use your memory to remember your future. Remember the future home of the heavenly bride and bridegroom. Your choice. It's a station. And that station, the next one down, is your imagination. I think I told you last year when I was here, and, and, and some people, they, they commented on it. I told them that I had named my brain. Like some people name their dog or their cat or their car or their horse. Well, I named my brain. And the name of my brain is the village of anything is possible. And in my imagination is a station of creation in my imagination, which is my personal dream machine of excitement and enchantment and ecstasy. And I can just go into the realm of the supernatural and I can remember all the things that Brother Branham told us about what our future life was going to be. I can take my imagination and remember all the great and wonderful things God has done in this generation. And I can pull those up in my memory and in my imagination. I was just down in Florida. I I lived in Florida when Walt Disney was just dragging the dirt for Disney World. Everybody thought it was crazy. And, and, And so Walt Disney, they perfected animation. They would take a picture. Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, Daffy Duck, Donald Duck, Goofy. And those artists, they had to have thousands of pictures. And what did they do? They made a cartoon. Who didn't love cartoons, Brother Tim? And so by the gift in our imagination, God gives us the gift of supernatural animation. And we can remember all the things that are taking place in the supernatural right now. The things that have happened. The things that God did. When Brother Brandon was on the scene, he was speaking to a woman. He said, now, sister, I don't know you and you don't know me, but there is one here who does know you and does know me. Now, when he and his spirit comes in, me and my spirit goes away and he gives me a temporarily resurrection in my spirit and he wants to use my body. And I'm so happy to loan it to him. Anything he can get out of it. Friends, if that doesn't rock your world, if that doesn't shock you into reality, supernatural reality. You know, Brother Brown said Jesus lived in a world that, 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 that nobody else knew about. He said he was a, a mystic. He said Jesus lived in a world that no one knew about. He was an odd person. He lived in a world of perfect faith in a perfect God in which he was. If we lived in a perfect faith of a Christian to what we are, we'd be a mystic to the world. The people wouldn't understand you. Do you say amen? Amen. You'd walk in the spirit. What the spirit said you would do. What he forbid you would not do. The people began to say, oh, you'd be a mystery to them. That's the way it is to all believers. True believers. They are a mystic. The people don't understand because they live in a world to themselves. Jesus lived in a world nobody else could touch. The disciples couldn't understand him. When he spoke to them, they said, and they said, well, you know, you talk in riddles. We don't understand. How can these things be? See, they wasn't in the world that he lived in. They couldn't understand him. Nobody could understand him. And friends, we live in that world now. We live in a world where the supernatural, the bride, is naturally spiritual and normally supernatural. Because you are a product of divine supernatural engineering. You've got God's DNA, God's genetic code inside of you. You were born for this world. You were born to overcome. You are engineered for success and designed for accomplishment and endowed with the seeds of greatness. 
But in order to manifest that, you've got to know what you're doing. Love what you're doing. And believe what you're doing. Have the passion of a lover and the fire of a crusader and the dedication of a saint and the perseverance of a martyr. Mystics to the world. You know, I've been studying in, in the last month or so, people who have become Christians, who formerly were Jews, and almost every one of them said Isaiah 53 was what opened the world to them. And almost to the person, they said, we never looked at the New Testament because Jesus was a racist. He was an anti-Semite. But then when they did open the Bible, right away, first thing they read is the genealogy of Jesus going right back to the ancient Hebrew fathers. And the more, the more they read. And I just want to read Isaiah 53, just a portion of that. And I want to use, you don't have to turn to it, I'm going to use the Amplified Bible. Who had believed or trusted, or relied upon, or clung to our message of what was revealed to us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For the servant of God grew up before him like a tender plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of comeliness, royal, kingly pomp, that we should look at him. He had no royalty, no kingly pomp. That we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. And that day, friends, there was a lot of pomp, a lot of pageantry, Sanhedrin council, the rabbis, they look good. They smell good. Their beards were just right. Their robes were just right. They had all the flactories all around them and everywhere they went, they wanted everybody to know how holy they were. And Jesus was 180 degrees opposite from what they were. He was despised and still is and rejected and forsaken by men. A man of sorrows and pains and acquainted with grief and sickness. And like one whom men hid their faces from. And that's what many of these Jewish people are saying. We we didn't want to hear anything about Jesus. We tolerated our Christian friends, but we knew that they were anti-Semites. The word racist wasn't a big word back then, but in hindsight, that's what they were saying. And when many of these were converted, they were disowned by their family. A lot of people, I I remember that, friends. When I come out of the Catholic church, my family said, how can you leave the mother church? Thank God I left the mother church. She was no mother to me. A man of sorrows and pains and acquainted with grief and sickness. And like one whom men hid their faces from, he was despised and he was not appreciated his worth or have any esteem for him. Surely he has borne our griefs, our sicknesses, our weakness and distresses and carried our sorrows and pains, our punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten and afflicted by God as if with leprosy. That's how most Jews look at Christians. This is like a leprous religion. See, the only, they think all Christians are under the Pope. Remember when Gershon Solomon came here? He said, I've never met Christians who didn't believe in three gods before. You are a paradox to him. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement. Needful to obtain the peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with his stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. Just a couple more scriptures. All we like sheep have gone astray. Just imagine a Jewish man, a Jewish woman reading their prophet Isaiah and understanding that Jesus was the one. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath made to light upon him the guilt and iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, yet when he was afflicted, he was submissive and opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. You know what these Jews say? You know, we should have understood that because the Jewish faith, we have sacrifices. 
They have lambs. They used to sacrifice them. And now they're seeing in the word, they're seeing their own Messiah came. And was that lamb that laid down his life without uttering a sound. He was submissive and opened not his mouth like a lamb is led to the slaughter. And as a sheep before shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who among them considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken to his death for the transgression of my, that's Isaiah's, people to whom the stroke was due. In other words, Jesus took the strikes that we were due. And they assigned him a grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. Try to come to grips with that. For your sin and my sin, Jesus came and was tortured, beaten, whipped, kicked at, spit at. Had a robe around his face, ripped his beard out of his face and punched him and kicked him. And he didn't even know when the punches or the kicks were coming. By the time he got to the cross, you could hardly recognize that he was a human being. He was that beaten. They wanted to make an example out of him. Anybody who came against Rome or anybody who came against Judaism. Yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He was put him to grief and made him sick. When you and he made his life an offering for sin, he is risen from the dead in time to come. He shall see his spiritual offspring. That's you. That's me. He was wounded for our transgression. We are the offspring of God. The genes of God. He shall prolong his days and he will... And he will and pleasure of the Lord shall worship in his hand. He shall see the fruit of the travail of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge of himself, which he possess and imparts to other. Shall my uncompromisingly righteous one, my servant, justify many and make many righteous, upright and in right standing with God. For he shall bear the iniquities of their guilt with their consequences, says the Lord. Last two verses. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, the kings and the rulers, and he shall divide the spoil with the mighty, because he poured out his life unto death, and he let himself be regarded as a criminal, crucified between two thieves. He allowed that. Imagine, born in a manger, his last days is crucified between two thieves, hid himself from the wise and the prudent, Reveals himself to babes such as would believe. How many believed in that day? All the prophecies of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus fulfilled and punctuated every one. And they couldn't see him. And 2,000 years have gone by and they still can't see him. Think about that. Jews, Jerusalem, Brother Allen, you, you love the people in Israel. The Jewish people, I've been there. Sometimes it looks like a religious Halloween. All decked out with all their different costumes from all the countries of the world. They come there. Rabbis. I saw one time they come out from the yeshiva. First thing they did, a bunch of them grabbed their cigarettes and started smoking like a puff of smoke. Coming out of a religious seminary. Not so spiritual, friends. Look good. Talk good. Walk good. The lights are on. Nobody's home. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great kings and rulers. And he shall divide the spoil with the mighty. Because he poured out his life unto death. And he let himself be regarded as a criminal. And he numbered with the transgressors. And he bored and took away the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. The rebellious. So now. Here we have now. Our conscience. Our memory, our imagination, the next floor down is a treacherous realm, friends. It is the realm of reasoning. Reasoning. A man way back in the 1800s, he had a a little illustration. He said the devil had a convention. And one of his demons said, Lucifer, you have many great weapons. What's your greatest weapon? You have lust and you have gambling, you have alcohol. What's your greatest weapon? 
He said, he pulled out a little box and he opened the little box and he had just a little sliver. He said, uh, yes, I have many great weapons, but this is my greatest weapon. This is my wedge of doubt. And if I can plant this wedge of doubt in a man or a woman's mind, I've got them. They're mine. Reasoning. People want to figure everything out. We can't figure out God, friends. A, A finite mind cannot understand the infinite God. We believe, we trust, and we obey what the Word says. But reasoning, reasoning, figure it out. How many, how many have we watched, friends, walk away? After 30 plus years, they walk away. Because Satan planted that realm of wedge of doubt in their reasoning. What about this? What about that? What about this? I don't understand that. This, Oh, my friends. You know, Michelangelo created the masterpiece. And there was a flaw in the masterpiece. This word is a masterpiece. God's masterpiece. And Brother Branham said, I remember the first time I heard it. He said, sometimes we have to say things in a way that causes people to go away. Because there's too many people following the message. Boy, I mean, I had to read that one over and over. Too many people following the message. I'm trying to get people in the message. And you're saying you had to say things in a way that caused people to go away? Yeah, like the 70. Called, anointed, chosen, empowered, successful ministries. Came back rejoicing. And Jesus says, don't rejoice because the demons are subject to you, but rejoice if your name's in the book of life. Unless you drink this blood, eat this flesh, you have no part with me. And Brother Bram said, that, that staggered him. He said, well, and Jesus ordered, does that stagger you? What are you going to say when you see the Son of Man ascending and descending from where he come from? They said, we are so out of here, and they are gone. Did Jesus ever try to stop them? No, never did. We never hear any more about the 70, friends. They went their way. Reasoning. Bible says, cast down memory, cast down imagination, cast down reasoning, cast down everything that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Last one down, almost finished now. Last one down is the realm of our affections. Remember I told you when I was 12 years old and I started noticing the girls? (laughs) I found this girl, eighth grade. St. Michael's Catholic School. I can see her now. She was a vision. And one day I got up enough nerve and I asked her. I said, "Uh, can I walk you home? And she said, yes. And I mean, it was like I almost crumbled. I mean, it, it can't get any better than this. And she lived a long way away from where the school was and where I lived. But I didn't care. The longer, the better. And then, Brother John, one day I got up enough nerve. Remember now, we're speaking about the realm of touch and affections. And I reached out and I got a hold of her hand. And she didn't pull away. And it was like sparks were going through me. Oh, this is wonderful. And from then on, we held hands. That wasn't good. And then one day, she said, Ernie, I have to talk to you. I said, yeah, what is it? She said, well, she said, "Uh, I can't be your girlfriend anymore. I said, what? She said, yeah, I I don't want you to walk me home anymore and carry my books. And now I felt like my world was crumbling. And then the dagger came. She said, I like somebody else. That was it, friends. I don't even know how I got home. If there was a hole in the ground, I would have crawled in that hole and never come out. That's how bad I felt. How many of you that were in the world can ever remember the first time you got your heart broken? 
It felt like somebody had reached into my, my chest, pulled out my heart, and spit on it, and threw it on the ground, and jumped up and down on it. And I went home, went in my bedroom, shut the lights off, and I cried. And cried. I didn't want to eat. I couldn't sleep. I didn't want anything. I said, that's it. It's over. My life's over. It's never going to be the same. She was the one. Now, as silly as that sounds, friends, that same thing is happening today, every week, millions of times around the world. Not only with boyfriends and girlfriends, but husbands and wives. Parents breaking children's hearts. Children breaking parents' hearts. Employees breaking the hearts of their employers. Employees breaking the heart. And that emotional realm, it shatters people. Just like somebody takes a a rock and throws it into a mirror. And the mirror is shattered in a thousand pieces. The realm of our affections. The Bible said, set your affections on things above. And so now that's, that's the house that we live in. Brother Branham said it's a three room house like Jesus lived in. Body, spirit, and soul. And that last realm that we live in, that realm of our soul, the eternal realm for a believer, not eternal for an unbeliever. Because they're going to suffer everlasting. But one day they will be annihilated. They will be liquefied or vaporized or however God's going to do it. And we have no idea how long that will be. But for the believer, the one who is privileged in this day to hear this message. And Brother Branham said, don't ever take the message for granted. Don't ever let it become common. You know, the danger of being in a large church like this is we look around. Well, there's a lot of us. You go around the world, go to China, go to India, 1.4 billion people in India. Now, a thousand times a million, that's one billion. So take 8,000 million, that's how many people there are on the face of the earth. Not many believers, percentage-wise. Less than 1%. Of the people in the world know what you know and have been privileged to hear what you hear and see what you see and have put in your hands, like the rich young ruler, the invitation to come and be the personal disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ because the message is Jesus Christ in a new divine order and your soul is the holy of holies and Brother Branham said it's your control tower and Jesus Christ wants to come and live in your control tower. The control tower, like like a ship out in the middle of a hurricane. That ship's going up and down, and the wind and the waves are tossing him. But the old sea captain, he's at the helm, and he can crest every wave. The wind, the rain, he's been there before. He's done it before. And think of all the trials that God has taken all the people through all the ages. 6,000 years that we know of and all the trials, all the tests, all the hurts, all the wounds, all the scars, all the bruises that people have gone through. And the Bible said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, because He is the one who can overcome all of our trials, all of our challenges, friends. The station of creation in your imagination, supernatural animation. Just give you a couple of quotes before we go. Questions and answers, Brother Branham says, What you are here, get that in your mind now. I'm going to close, but what you are here is a sign that you are something else somewhere. You've always wanted to be in perfection. Yeah, Every day when I wake up, my goal is perfection. 
Are we going to achieve it in this life? No, not a chance. Brother Branham said, every day we do enough wrong for God to kill us. But the blood, that bloody sacrifice, if we have the wrong attitude, if we say something, if we look at something, if we listen to something. I hear people say, you know, I don't listen to rock and roll. I only listen to Christian rock. There is no such thing as Christian rock. Long time ago, I shared. I believe in rock and roll. Standing on the rock, your name's on the roll. That's the kind of rock and roll that you ought to be concerned about. And Brother Branham said, it's the beat, the beat, the beat. It's the beat that gets somebody. Whether it's rock and roll or country or hip hop or jazz, whatever it is, it's the beat that intoxicates people. Think about how crazy it would be if they tried to sell you a movie or a television show without there being sound effects in the background or music in the background. And all the drama queens and all the drama kings. Old Brother Tom calls them adrenaline junkies. All the adrenaline junkies are there. What, what happens next? Oh, Romeo, oh, I'm heartbroken. Oh, hero. Heroes. Well, when I was growing up, if somebody was a star, that was wonderful. Then they had to be a superstar. Today, they got to be a megastar. All kind of stars. TV, movies, sports, religion, politics, business, social media, social influencers. Stars. The world gazes and you ever see one of them? He blows it. Makes a big mistake. And he comes and does a mea culpa. Well, I want to apologize to all my fans. You know what a fan, a fan is? That's short for the word fanatic. He said, I want to apologize to all my fanatics. All the ones who follow me. All the ones who watch me. All the ones who listen to me. All the ones who watch me stuff a ball in the basket or put a, a, a thing in the, in the hockey puck or whatever, whatever that thing is. <laughs> hockey, hockey net. <laughs> the goal. <laughs> or the soccer goal. All those things. Stars. And people are mesmerized by them. Brother Bisco said a long time ago, he said, they're stars all right. Fallen stars. And people worship them. And they stare at them. And they're mesmerized by them. And they're intoxicated by them. I'm intoxicated. I'm intoxicated by the opium that comes from the lily of the valley. God's given us a heart transplant. A life transplant. Mind transplant. A soul transplant. We've been brought face to face with eternity, friends. Now, please, you know, some of the things I say maybe, maybe cause a little bit of humor, but I'm dead serious, friends. No doubt there are people here tonight who are not where you need to be. And the Holy Ghost is not enthroned in your soul where your number one priority is the Lord Jesus Christ. And a born again experience. Like the Bible said, if any man is in Christ, they're a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And God will separate our sins as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness. And never remember them anymore. If God is for you, who can be against you? That's the kind of a teammate that we're offered. Jesus Christ is the principal theme of the entire Bible. And if somebody misses Jesus Christ, they have missed everything. If they've got... If, if they've got their Godhead with kind of a grandfather sitting on the throne and Jesus, a young guy on the right hand and the bird treading air eternally, they are as lost as a lamppost, friends. If they, if they believe it was an apple in the garden, they got lost in Genesis 3. They took a detour and have never recovered from it. Theologians, seminaries, Bible schools, some of the biggest and the greatest and the most famous in the world. 
don't even know how many gods there are. And we would not know. And even the ones who say they believe in one God, they don't have it right. Brother Bram said, I have my oneness friends here and my Trinity friends here. And they're both wrong. Only God, only the spirit of Elijah can give us the revelation. Let's stand to our feet, friends. I was telling Brother Tom that there was a fellow that I read about. And and he said, Lord, fill my mouth with worthwhile stuff. And nudge me when I've said enough. And so I think that tonight we've we've said enough out of the word. And now this is like countdown time. You know, whenever I come to church and the songs are sung and the ministers coming out, I feel like that that spiritual astronaut. You know, it's like ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three. Two, one, and the word starts to be unfolded. Supernatural drama on display right in front of us for all to see, for all to be energized and electrified and illuminated and quickened and stimulated, activated, motivated, revelated, whatever word you want. I run out of adjectives when I try to describe the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The one who says in this day, this message will produce a super race of people, a super church. Your kings and kings and priests right now, he said he's the Messiah. Now a portion of Messiah dwells in you and he says it so many times messiahs <laughs> he said don't try to feed that to Pentecostal babies because it's too rich for them and it makes them sick at their stomach but for the bride it's just right we understand who he is we understand what he's done in this day and what he has called us to He's called us to perfection. I have a lot of quotes on perfection, but I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads, friends. What a day, Lord. What an hour. What a privileged people we are to be called by your name. In such a way that the rest of the world has missed it a million miles. But you gave us a supernatural honing signal. Zeroed right into our soul. And gave us the ability to respond. And to prosper and thrive in these realms of the supernatural. The Bible said, he that endureth until the end, the same shall be saved. And Lord, we're still here. After all these years, and you get sweeter and more wonderful as every day goes by, we get closer to that day. We're going to see you face to face. And all that we've read about, all we've listened to, all we've imagined and dreamed and hoped for, it will become reality. As your eyes are closed, I want to ask you, friends, Brother Branham said this is the midnight hour. It's the home stretch for the bride. If you're, if you're here tonight, friends, and just between you and God, if you're here tonight and you know that some of these things that, that we're speaking about have not become a reality to you, and you would just say with all the depth of sincerity, Father, Make this word real to me. Allow this word to live in my heart. I invite you tonight to rule and reign in the control tower of my soul, Father. I give you total liberty to use me as as the way that you would want to use me. And I'm going to turn the service over to Brother Tom. But if that's you tonight and you would just want to say, Lord, and my eyes are closed. I'm not looking, friends. And I trust nobody else is looking. But just between you and God, if you want to say, Father, tonight, I want to be able to say from this time, from this night forward, things are going to be different. Lord, I don't know who's raised their hand or if anybody has, but... 
If they have, Father, I pray that that you would come, your spirit would come, that sweet Holy Spirit would come and just hover over that person, hover over their physical and their spiritual, their emotional realm, their eyes, ears, taste, touch, smell, conscience, memory, imagination, reasonings and affections. And help them to understand, even if they don't understand it tonight, let them understand that God has given us a supernatural blueprint that we can understand how we are built and how we are wired and how to respond to a supernatural call. Father, we thank you for this time, for this great invitation to be able to come and speak what you've made real to me. Bless our ministers, Father, and all that labor for the kingdom of God here and all around the world, we ask in your precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Can we sing uh, as Brother Tom comes? I I love the song. These are the days of Elijah. And I haven't heard that song for a while. And I would love to hear it tonight. So we could sing one, one verse as Brother Tom comes. These are the days of Elijah. 